0: Wendy's Coffee House. My guest is Jonathan Fink. Now, he's a prolific writer, a prolific researcher who covers the gamut from spirituality to baseball, hardcore baseball, I mean stats, the whole nine yards, and music. I don't know where we want to dive off, but first, I love miracles, and this was the one I wanted to go with just to give people an idea of (laughs) how many details you find. When you were researching The Baseball Gods Are Real, and this is Volume 3, The Religion of Baseball, there's a story in there on miracles, and I love it because This starts out with Wayne Dyer. I am realistic. I expect miracles. All right. So here we go. A guy who is a mechanic, I believe, accused of murder. How did you find out about this guy who was accused and had to get off the hook with an alibi about baseball?
1: Well, first of all, Wendy, thank you so much for having me again on your show. It's great to be with you. And with regards to these baseball god miracles and all these baseball god stories, you know, I don't even know how these stories find me, Wendy. Um, There is... An intelligent energy that permeates all things in this universe and it seems to have chosen me to write books about these subjects and whether it's through my son who brings me a story or i'll be just you know uh, on twitter or the internet a story will catch my eye and, and i get kind of drawn in like a magnet and and it always seems like there's a, a purpose and yeah i mean whether whether a baseball miracle is simply like when aretha franklin passed away and then they, they honored her at Comerica Park in Detroit, and in broad daylight, when it wasn't raining, a rainbow appeared above the stadium, and thousands of people saw it. Now, that's a that's a miracle that we can all relate to. Yeah. the story you're referring to is a little more peculiar because it shows how our spirit guides, our angels, the baseball gods, they're bending time and space. There's a story about a man, uh, and I guess I can credit Netflix for this because Larry David has a uh, you know, of course, Larry David from you know Seinfeld and Your Enthusiasm a documentary was uh, put on Netflix about this story, but essentially uh, this man was accused of murder and he was innocent. Um, and maybe because of the color of his skin, they didn't believe him. And, and when he had to uh, fight for his life uh, in trial, um, he remembered that Larry David uh, was filming an episode at Dodger Stadium for his TV show Curb Your Enthusiasm. And he remember- he told uh, the prosecutors he left the game in the, in the ninth inning. This is what he could not have been, possibly at the scene of the murder he was there with his daughter and then when uh, they, they contacted HBO production and they sifted through all that b roll uh, they eventually found uh, exactly what they were talking about there was a, a particular shot where this man was happen to be in the background as a as a bystander and it proved that he was there they even saw him getting up with his daughter to leave the stadium uh, in the ninth inning as he said it so this is a one a situation where it's an absolute miracle uh, because this man is now, it uh, was innocent and is now free living his normal life. But without that divine intervention, without the, all those dots connecting, he would never have been able to prove his innocence. And we see these stories, and they have of course, in baseball stadiums. I personally get a, get a kick out of it because I have, I have a chapter about how baseball stadiums are like cathedrals. And just like how in churches and synagogues and mosques, holy and divine moments happen, they also happen you know, in the game of baseball. And by the way, not a miracle, but just a couple of weeks ago, I was in St. Louis with my son at, for a baseball tournament and we the St. Louis Cardinals game. And sure enough, a man was opposed to his wife, and they got it on the big screen, and she said yes. And so everyone was cheering, and I said, wow, the baseball gods, you know, wanted us to really witness another baseball moment. But um, so maybe not a miracle in that case, but certainly a ring over a stadium and a man being able to prove his innocence only because of so many uh, synchronicity that led him to find the information that would prove his innocence is nothing short of a miracle. And whenever I see stories me, my answer is always, the baseball gods are real.
0: <laughs> okay. All right. And see, I, I don't know. This is not work for you. This is like a labor of love. And th- th- there other, th- there's a Kansas City connection, too, And th- in that same chapter. I guess we, we'll just go ahead and do that right now, because this is an announcer uh, uh, um, and something that when you connected with this guy, which was one of those things where I guess you're going to go out to lunch, and you, you knew he was from Kansas City, you got the backstory. And I, um, since I don't know as much about this, and that's I don't know how to pronounce his name even, because, because yeah. I, I'm completely a neophyte. Yeah, I know,
1: I know where, yeah, I know where you're going with this. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, the,
0: the, 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 yeah, the answer is
1: Steve Sisak. Uh, uh-huh. Steve Sisak is has been the uh, the radio and TV announcer for the Royals for for over a decade. In fact, he moved to Kansas City from California. 2012, the same time I did. And he actually moved with Mike Pudler, who's also the announcer of the Royals, and they were both with the Angels at the time. So Interesting, they came from, the, but they got fired. And after a couple of years, they, they they got hired by the Royals. Steve Pudler, of course, grew up was born and raised in, in Kansas City. And interestingly enough, uh, in his part time, he's an author. And uh, when I, then, when he released his first book, which was a uh, a, uh, a fictional timepiece story about uh, three, you know. Pre fascism, the you know, Mussolini in World War II, uh, an article came up on Major League This was front page headline news, and the title was something like Author Writes Book from Dream. And I thought to myself, You've got to be kidding me. What? Yeah. And of course, I found a bunch of articles. I read the book, and essentially, Steve Fiziak and his wife, um, who, by the way, are both spiritual, they're both yogis, they, and they meditate and they pray. In fact, they both read uh, have read and, and live and breathe, book the course on miracles, which is about tapping into spirit and divinity and you know creating the best reality for your life. Yes. And yeah. eventually, he was on vacation in, in the summertime with his wife and had had a what was a prophetic dream, and he had a vision of this walled city uh, in Italy, and he was able in his mind, his dream uh, he had such specific details, and then as fate would have it, uh, the next day they were in Tuscany, approaching a, a, a new a new place to visit, a new town that had a winery. And sure enough, it was a walled city, and it was the city of Lucca. And as he's approaching with his wife, he turns to his wife and says, I just don't believe it. But when he when this visit, he, he told the wife the dream, he even wrote it down in detail. And it was a prophetic dream and a manifest. And it was so crazy that that dream, then maybe it sparked some kind of past life memories for, for Physioc, because... He was then able to write a fictional novel. And of course, fictional novels, you need such creativity and you have to pull such, you know, such amazing details to create the texture, to create these stories and create images for the reader. And then he wrote a fabulous, a fabulous book called The Wall of Luca that was absolutely inspired by a dream. And so, of course, after, you know, hearing that story and reading that book, when my first book came out, I thought, well, I probably mail some copies out to people you know, for good karma, you know, just get, you know, get the word out, network. And I thought, who would appreciate my book in the baseball world more than Steve Fidnak, a man who is spiritual and wrote a book about, you know, some pretty paranormal woo-woo stuff. And so we, we, we eventually became friends and, and we're still in touch. And, and I should also mention, you know, synchronicity is one of these esoteric concepts that for me is, has, happening, has happened, you know, for many years now. But I feel like it's been happening more and more for humanity you know, collectively, but when I first mailed Steve my book, he was on the road with the Royals. And in his free time, he in his hotel room writing the next book. And the next book, which by the way, just was released, is a story about a native Indian who was a tracker as a young boy, but then developed a love for baseball. And and so I mailed the book to Steven. His wife gets the package, opens it up, takes a picture of the cover, texts it to Steve, and as he was writing a chapter about it, this Native Indian learned to become a pitcher. He gets a text with his wife, and it's a picture of my cover, which is a picture of a pitcher kneeling down and praying. You know, the baseball guy before yeah. the start of the game, and so he had such a profound synchronicity. He found my phone number and called me, and we spoke for you know several hours, and we became you know kindred spirits. You know, ever ever since. And so the, the idea that is all around and happens. You know, the first few times. Maybe talk it off as a coincidence, right? Mm-hmm. But when it continues to happen and, and it happens in the most profound and unique and amazing and curious ways, at some point along your path, you'll have to ask yourself, are these all coincidences or is this, you know, divination, right, in action? And I'd have to argue that it it, it is absolutely that. It's spirit working its magic. And it's there all the time. But as my daughter said, you know, I have a spirit animal, the crow. And, of course, now that I'm aware, I see crows all the time. And my daughter said, you know, dad, there's a yellow cab theory, a yellow, a yellow cab theory. Once you see a yellow cab, you then see them all the time because your awareness changes. And I think that's actually okay with me because what is the spiritual path? Really, it's an increasing of your awareness, right? Yes. And so as you become more aware of not just the yellow cab and, and the clothes, it's all these little synchronicities where your spirit guides and angels are leaving you clues and hints and helping you, help you along the way. And then once you realize that these things are not true, because they're, it's guidance, then um, life is much more profound as you start to then live a life based on spirit rather than the 3D reality that we were, that we were born into.
0: Okay, we're going to take a break, all right. But we want to go into the next piece of the puzzle here with the baseball gods are real, volume three, the religion of baseball. Okay, what's in here is UFOs and ghosts. All right, that's why I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm on board. So we're going to take a quick break and come back and also get into past life regression with Jonathan Fink, Wendy's Coffee House, KCMO Talk Radio.
1: When a UFO shows up at a sports stadium, there are thousands of witnesses. To me, these UFO encounters are much, much more profound because, A, by the way, they're not invading us. They're not, you know, attacking us. They're just showing their presence and sometimes they're actually entertaining us. So it's a really wonderful way. For humans who do not have the perspective that maybe aliens could be real.
0: KCMO Talk Radio, Wendy's Coffee House, my guest, Jonathan Think. What do you want to start with?
1: I'd like to start with the ghost. You know, as a baseball fan throughout my life, I've always been aware of the baseball gods. It's a term you hear from coaches and players and sports and broadcasters. But, Wendy, I was not familiar with the idea of baseball ghosts, right? Uh-huh. And amazingly, there, is, there are actually several books dedicated to the ghosts of baseball. Um, legendary stories of specifically in Florida at the Yankee spring training, um, yeah, you know the gardeners and the maintenance workers, the field the field guys would uh, would see you know the ghosts of Lou Gehrig walking around, the ghosts of Babe Ruth, um, and so this has been legend some time, and a lot of that stuff has been well documented in those baseball ghost books. And then even as a fan, I remember uh, you know about a decade ago hearing stories about St. Petersburg, Florida, and the Vinoy Hotel. Uh, when, when, for some reason, baseball teams will stay at the same hotels over and over again. And it's curious because once you have a few ghost experiences, you have to ask when you're going back there. But <laughs> but of course, the Vignoy the Hotel in St. Petersburg is a beautiful 5 star hotel overlooking the ocean. So that's the reason why people teams want to stay there. But there have been, you know, endless, numerous, countless stories documented in articles, you know, in the ancient press about these ghosts Encounters. And so the thing with my book, Baseball God's Body, the in Baseball, I wanted to make it relevant for today. So for me just to rehash all these old baseball ghost stories wasn't really any value to the baseball community. I've already been there, done that. And right. So in the last many years as a baseball fan, I've just been constantly just a fan of the game, collecting stories. And my next story that meets the criteria, it goes into a file. And that file becomes big enough, it becomes a chapter. So when I learned about the Pfister Hotel in, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, I was very interested because the Pfister Hotel is one of the oldest hotels uh, in America. It's a, it's a landmark uh, in America, and, it, and it's a beautiful hotel. And in Baseball God Volume 2, I made a trip to, to, to Milwaukee for a, a playoff game. I spent some time at the Pfister Hotel, and I'll tell you, I spoke to lots of employees there. And, uh, and, you know, they wanted to dispel some of the, some of the, the ghost stories. For example, look, it's four in the morning and it's a rickety old building and you hear some noises. It could just be the pipes moving, right? It doesn't have to be a ghost. Right. But then he says the straight, then the bus point, you know, the fellow me with a straight face. But, but I'll be honest, if you walk around that 17th floor at four in the morning, you can hear more than banging pipes, right? <laughs> and so that's when I was kind of like, I right, t- tell me more, tell me more. And so I got a lot of interesting stories that validated, you know the legendary rumors, but then it became mainstream because thanks to social media, where so many baseball players have Twitter handles and have Instagram in 2018, by the way, the, these baseball ghosts must be fans of the, you know, of, the, of the Milwaukee Brewers because they always heckle the, the teams that come to town. And so they they're live in the St. Louis in town 2018. And, uh, and Carlos Martinez, the tsunami, uh, goes live on Instagram and he's doing a play by play update of his ghost encounter. And he, he's scared of death death. He sees a headless torso apparition, you know, moving around his room. He's absolutely terrified. He then called over to Yadi Molina, the all-star catcher. And there's a ghost in his room too. <laughs> so they had to get together to fight off these ghosts. And basically he's in he's on Instagram saying, look, I'm in the, I'm in this hotel room with, Yadi Molina and four of the players and three coaches and none of them will go back to their roots because they're all scared of goats. And we figured if we sit together and we all have our baseball bats, we'll fight those ghosts and we'll, if we're going to go down, we'll go down swinging. <laughs> and so that's when I realized that, come on, this stuff is not just happening in the 1960s and 70s, in the 1980s. It's still happening today. Yeah. So a lot of these stories were meant to bring back all these great, legendary uh, paranormal stories and make them relevant again, because just like spirit is real, uh, so are the baseball ghosts. And so whether it's the Vinoy in St. Petersburg or the Fister or you know Yankee Spring Training, the ghosts are there. Now, we can, of course, get into how the ghosts exist and why they exist, and, and that's a, a whole up in the bag of worms, but, but let it be clear that in, the, in the, the religion of baseball, ghosts are a permanent fixture, for sure.
0: Okay, now, the UFOs because it's not just yeah yeah this is where it gets even better i agree with you and
1: it gets better because now look when when carlos martinez posted the video he's sharing that for thousands of people all at once but a lot of times when there are these ufo encounters um you might see it, it might be a husband and wife by themselves and they see a ufo and so when they retell the story it maybe it loses credibility because it's just one person's opinion. And there's no way to validate it or or to vindicate it. So when a UFO shows up at a sports stadium, there are thousands of witnesses. Yes. So to me, these UFO encounters are much much more profound because hey, by the way, they're not invading us. They're not you know attacking us. They're just starting their presence, and sometimes they're actually entertaining us uh, at these events. We'll get into. So it's a really wonderful way for for humans who do not have the perspective that maybe aliens could be real, I mean, here's an example where you have, you know, for example, let, let, let's look at this, 1950, uh, Helena, Montana, 19, you know, uh, 1962, Vancouver, uh, those were two minor league, minor league games where employees of the team, hundreds of fans, uh, witnessed this and that it was pressed and it was well documented. So that's, that's just amazing. Um, there's also a really great story about Daryl Evans. Daryl Evans was a veteran player for the San Francisco Giants. His career was in a slump. He was kind of on the down, the downward trend, and um, and he was riding the bench. And then uh, one night, him and his wife, and by the way, his wife was a stewardess, so she would know what an airplane looks like. They're on their back porch, and a UFO flew in, hovered, right, kind of as they said, kind of gave them a wink, like, hey, look at us, make sure you know we're here, and then did an amazing turn, and then poof, zipped dipped away, and and that story made headline news because he decided to share that story, you know, risking embarrassment or humiliation, people calling him crazy. He, he was so certain of what he saw that it, that he shared that story, and so that was an example where it might have been just one or two people, but it got that mainstream news, but I would take it even further. These UFO encounters just don't happen at, at baseball stadiums. They happen at, at at golf tournaments. They happen at tennis tournaments, and of course, maybe the most famous, now this one is not a relevant one, but it's just so great to mention, you know, in 1954, in Tuscany, Italy, two-star people playing, it's a sold-out stadium, so we're talking 10, 20, 30,000 fans, and while the different fans, in hindsight, they recollect the details differently, some refer to these orbs as bar-shaped, others refer to them as, as circular in nature, but they all describe them as being silver, Um, some even mentioned that these UFOs were dropping almost like silver confetti from the sky, and the game, no, a referee never even blew the whistle, but the game stopped, because all the fans were pointing to the sky, every player was looking up, pointing to the sky, and the the soccer ball, which was being kicked around, just rolled to a slow, gentle (laughs) stop, and for five to ten minutes, everyone just stood in absolute awe as these, these orbs danced around in the sky, and they didn't just, like Darrell Evans, shoot around, hover a few minutes, and shoot away. These guys danced around for a for a long period of time. And I mean, come on, Wendy, this is just this is just incredible stuff. So for me, this is you know this is another kind of baseball miracle or sports miracle because you know for people who don't believe in these paranormal things, when they happen, and of course they happen at you know in stadiums with as many witnesses. Boy, that that really is compelling material, right? Yes. So, so yes, when. So, so, yeah, so it's, it's amazing to me how, how ghosts and, and UFOs find their way into sport. And just like my books, you know, my books, yes, it's about music and about baseball, but it's really about paranormal and, and, and woo woo. And this is the vehicle to, to get people to expose to those ideas. And so these sporting events are the vehicle to help these people, thousands of them at a time, to awaken to this phenomenon. So it's just uncanny and amazing and another little baseball miracle.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I, this isn't a baseball miracle. I My favorite, there's a drawing that uh, Muhammad Ali, who said he thought that the UFOs followed him and were watching him. And he had a very strong connection to UFOs. He's one of my, that's one of my favorite just sports legends with a UFO connection. So, you know, there's more to it. it, I did, it I, go ahead. I did, I did not know that about him. But that's really interesting. Yes. You know,
1: especially because when we, you know, for people who are into spirituality, we always think about our spirit guides and our guardian angels as, you know, these beings of light. Well, what's a benevolent alien from the Pleiades? Probably a thing of light. So, so maybe it's an interchangeable concept, which is something that you know you would know more about than me. But I like the idea that that um if something is angelic, it doesn't have to be an angel. It could just be a benevolent alien, and, and that's good enough too.
0: Well, I want to go back into the reincarnation thing, and this is in the this is the music. Gods are real, volume two, religion of music. You got a lot of great stories in there too. This is the power of sound, and uh, sound will be the medicine of the future an Edgar Casey quote and uh, yeah, I think a premonition. Jonathan Fink and more of the music gods are real and more of the baseball gods are real. Wendy's Coffee House, KCMO Talk Radio. My guest is Jonathan Fink. How many books do you have now?
1: Uh, I'm publishing my sixth book uh, in August and I've actually written 10 and two of those are traditional novels. So I'm starting to branch out into new material. But yeah, but this has been an amazing five years. I've, I've written 10 books in five years. Yeah, yeah and I knew you before. I, I'll never forget, we first met. You didn't know who I was. I was just happy to be seen there, innocent bystander. And you were so in awe of the download that your guys were giving you. At the time, I was still very, very new to my spiritual path. And I, I actually started my, my path as an atheist. Yeah. And So I leaned over very, not and politely, I said, excuse me, who was talking to you?
0: You know, it's so yeah. cool tanked,
1: right? So, Wendy, so look, you and I interacting was an absolute divine moment where my guide, me, me I had to meet you um, along the way. Um, whether or not you were a radio show host that you became for me down the road was irrelevant because you really played uh, a synchronistic role at a very, very important time in my life. And so that then ignited this desire to learn more. And in my first book, I did a past life regression with, Kirsten Harwick, windmill here in Leewood Kansas. Mm-hmm. She uses the Dr. Brian Weiss method, famously from Many Lives, Many Masters, which, by the way, is the first book I ever read on my spiritual path. And by the way, that book was given to me by a friend and client named Pam Troy, who actually just passed away last month. So rest in peace, Pam Troy. I love you forever. Different than my second one, um, I was hoping to go back to some baseball stuff, and I wound up going back to a farm in Kansas where I was a sunflower farmer and of course, in that second book, Baseball God Volume Two, I eventually found that farm. Um, it's actually Griffith's Sunflower Farm in Leavenworth. After that experience, being able to have a past regression, have a very amazing vision, and then having my spirit guide give me all the clues to connect the dots to actually be able to validate and find the exact spot where I had that vision it was just incredible. And then I said to myself, All right, I have to do another one because I don't I only had visited one past life with that method. Kathy Byrd, who wrote a book called The Boy Who Me Too Much about her son maybe the reincarnation of Lou Gehrig. Every time she's done a past life progression, she's used the Dolores Cannon method with a man named Yaron DeWitt in Los Angeles. So I knew it was only a matter of time before the baseball gods brought me to Jerome DeWitt. We happen to have family in Los Angeles since we were out there. So when I did a past life progression, with to DeWitt, it was much different than the Brian Weiss method. Several hours long versus an hour, full interview before, and it was very, very intense. And by the way, it was also done on video. So I actually have this on video. And believe me, when you look at yourself in that hypnotic trance, answering these questions, watching your eyes flicker back and forth, searching for information, is stunning. It's incredible because you can't believe that's really you on the video. In that session, I visited four past lives, and I think that's relevant because. Fourth, I my favorite number my entire life. And so it's always kind of poetic, these little links. While all those four past lives were very, very relevant and helpful to me on my spiritual path, one in particular led to my Music God uh, series. And that was when I, I had a past life vision where I you know, went through time and space, I came down from the clouds and I found myself in a teepee. And I knew it was the Pacific Northwest. And then more specifically, I knew I was in Montana. And while I was in this little teepee as a little boy, I never heard any words. I never even saw anyone. I was alone in this TV by myself. And then this knowing came to me that I did not have parents. They, they had died, maybe in a war, maybe some disease. And I knew that I was raised by the elders of the tribe. Um, then when Your own uh, took me to my death, um, I was actually able to, to uh, live through it. Essentially, I, at 13 years old or so, I developed some kind of um, a disease. It turns out it actually was, I believe, smallpox because the U.S. soldiers would yes. gift uh, blankets laced with smallpox to the Indians, and then everyone got sick. Of course, there was no cure for smallpox. And so what are we to do with a tribe where you have this personal kid who's going to get everyone else sick? You have to get rid of that kid to mm. sick of the tribe. These these elders built a bed of fire for me. They put me on the bed of fire. I literally could see myself as the this kid on this bed of fire as... All these elders are are in their full gear, their faces are painted, and they're dancing all around me, they're chanting and chanting, and then they set this wooden bed ablaze. I remember not even feeling pain. I I remember in the vision going up to this white light and then looking back down upon my, my dead burning body and thinking to myself, I'm free, I feel bliss, I feel the guilt, gone. I didn't want to get anyone else sick in my tribe. I didn't want to be the reason that there was more suffering. I wanted to help my tribe. And you have to, and in baseball is a term called take one for the team. You know, when a pitcher throws a baseball and you get hit with it, you get you get a free a free trip to first base. You say right. take one for the team. And I remember thinking, I want to take one for the team. I want to remove myself from the solution. I don't want to hurt anyone else. Well of course after that regression I was so blown away and of course I became obsessed with Montana. I started to research a lot of stuff about Montana. And I was even um, connected with certain people uh, that led, led, gave me more and more evidence. Uh, I gave a book to a dental hygienist. It turns out her husband read my book and he spent four years looking on a, a crow tribe in Montana. It turns out there's 12 tribes in Montana, but the biggest one was the crow tribe. Now, here's where it's interesting because when it comes to animal totems, the, the legend has it that either you choose your third animal or the third animal. Chooses you. Well, when I worked in the music industry, I first toured Europe in 1997 with a band called The Black Crows. Then when I got back to New York, I discovered a band that I eventually managed called Scarecrow Collection. Then I had this past life life vision of Montana and I'm researching all the tribes and then meet a guy named Mike Lee. We have lunch. He tells me he spent four years living with Native Indians at the Crow tribe. And so now I knew where in Montana it was I knew what tribe it was, and then the only matter was just, how do I convince my wife to let me go visit Montana to kind of validate <laughs> this past life? The same way I validated my past life when I was a sunflower farmer in Kansas in the 1800s. And if fate would have it for a yoga session, I got the idea to write this music book about spirituality. And, the, and then it came to me, I have to interview a rock and roll band who's really into spirituality to, to make, it, make it work. And then uh, at the time, my favorite fan, and it still is one of my favorite fans, a band called Twiddle. And I said, yeah, I'm going to interview Twiddle. And it seemed preposterous. Uh, and I threw out the idea that my friends and family said, well, good luck with that. It's never going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. And then two days of prayer. And then Twiddle announces their their winter tour. And they're from Vermont, by the way. And for the first time ever, they're coming up the Midwest you know, through Kansas City. And then they're going to the West Coast and playing two shows, you guessed it, in Montana. And so I was like, oh, my goodness, I got to got to the band. I got to go see them in Kansas City. But more importantly, I I'm now have a reason to go to Montana. I'll go with the band. Now, of course, I had to convince my wife of this. And so I kind of, as I've done in my other book, I put it into a, a bet that seemed so preposterous. I took my wife. I said, listen, I want to go to Montana. I know you think it's crazy. Now, Twiddle, my favorite band's playing there. I want to go to see them play. Maybe I can try to get an interview with, with Twiddle and interview them in Montana. And my wife was like, oh, come on, that's never going to happen. So you know, I said, well, let's, let's make a deal. What if I get an interview with Twiddle in Montana before they're going arrive for the Kansas City show? If that were to happen, it'd be a miracle. And surely you would agree, my wife, that the music gods have been real. course, so she shook my hand, took the, took the bet, and then a fate would have it, I just, the guy told me you know, to mail a book to everyone in not just the band, but their crew, the bus driver, the guitar tech, the lighting guy. And so I basically mailed a box of 12 books. And within a week, the manager reached out to me and said, Hey, we'd love to be interviewed by you uh, in Montana, but we'll see you in Kansas City in, in a week. We'll start the conversation there. <laughs> and that is the genesis of my Music God book series because how do you explain that this, these divine intuitions and, and the meditation and then the prayers? My prayers are literally answered. And then, sure enough, um, Music God volume one and then two is my me traveling around the country with Twiddle. Uh, and then that leads me to more stuff. In fact, there's a non-for-profit charity called Calling All Crows. And I was dedicating my first book, 10% of the money, to Twiddle's non-for-profit charity. And I, as I wrote the second book, I needed to find a charity to dedicate that to. And then I wound up connecting with Calling All Crows. And it turns out that that, that was founded by a guy named Chad Stokes, a, thing, you know, a, a pretty well-known in the alternative scene, you know, singer, songwriter, who's in several bands. And I eventually connected with him and, and interviewed him. And he happened to be really into spirituality and reincarnation and, and who would have thunk it and animal spirits and totems. And so he's actually on the cover of my second book. And so my first book was kind of how the music gods helped me to figure out and validate a past life. And then the journey that I took with Twiddle. And then in book two, the music gods won't let me stop. And they eventually connected me with, with the Oak Ridge Boys and Joe Bonzo, who's another singer, songwriter, and author. And, and that music gods series is really the rest of history because I feel like the, the Music Gods planned my itinerary. In fact, Music Gods Volume 3 comes out uh, this summer, and, and all those chapters were divinely guided through my daughter and her musical interest for how I interacted with bands that I had crossed paths in the past, and the Music Gods seem to orchestrate these experiences that time and time again become worthy of writing about. And so I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that the Spirit Guides have chosen me to do this stuff and take their job. Very seriously, when I realized that my books, yeah, they're about music and they're about uh, baseball, but it's really about synchronicity, the power of positive thinking, um, and tapping into the divinity that's all around us. And when you're unaware of it, you can't have the Holy Spirit flowing through your, your mind and your heart. But once you can tap into this intelligent energy that permeates all things, every day becomes a new adventure as you can start to instantaneously manifest the reality of your dreams. And so, you know, I, I've always wanted to become an author. I've always been about it. And now here I'm doing it. And, you know, look, you can't make this stuff up with an miracle. I have three books now in the Cooperstown Baseball Hall of Fame that my great, great grandkids will one day come to visit my books. And I take no credit for this. This is God doing this stuff, you know. I mean, yeah. uh, I, I'm amazed that spirit can really create miracles. And if you can tap into this stuff and live and breathe it, Every day could be a synchronicity and every day could be a miracle.
0: Jonathan Fink, back at a few, Wendy's Coffee House, KCMO Talk Radio. You included some information about Wim Hof. Can you go into that?
1: You know, I think it was Tesla who said vibration and frequency is the key to the universe. When it comes to self healing if we're living, a, if we're eating low vibration food and drinking low vibration drinks and having low vibration thoughts, then your body will be low vibration and that's probably how cancer cells and, and negative energy flows through you and lots of bad things can happen to your body conversely if you are feeding your body with good things exercise yoga meditation and deep breathing uh you can purify this vehicle and then make harmonious music and by the way if each of us are an instrument then collectively as humanity we are an orchestra so right now look at our world. my goodness we're playing some really loud cantankerous music okay but maybe this is the kind of Right, Maybe what we're going through is the humanity is the, the, you know, the birthing pains of a new golden age where we eventually will learn to get on the same page musically and make beautiful music together. So Wim Hof, is a, he is a miracle in and of himself. I mean, this guy has set world records. He climbed mountains. He runs through deserts. But you know, thanks to YouTube, he's become accessible to everybody. And By the way, a lot of this esoteric knowledge, I'm sure, was kept in you know, sacred Tibetan temples. And this information has been kept away from the masses. And now it's becoming available. So with Grimhoff, he's particularly interesting to me because he is a spiritual guy, but what he's been able to do is bring his concepts down to the common man. And he's done it in such a way with his amazing personality and his integrity of character and his charisma, right, and his passion. He has literally woken millions and millions of people into his method. And even my own son, he watches his own YouTubers, different than I watch, and his YouTubers are now interviewing Grimhoff bring his information to the masses. And so the idea is when we are doing deep breathing and doing yoga and going for that three mile walk every day, you know, we are, we're purifying this vehicle. And so my feeling is I don't, I don't care how you do it. However you do it is, is, is just get it done. Just get get it done. But I also want to point out that the music that we listen to also has vibrational frequency. And if the music that we listen to, not just affects us physically with vibration, the lyrics, and the tones and harmonies and melodies affect our thoughts. So if you're listening to, you know, death metal all the time, no disrespect to all those death metal guitars out there, right? But what vibrational frequency is now flowing through people with that music? Conversely, if someone's listening to New Age music or, you know, Trevor Hall or, you know, classical music, when you're on your walk, then that music will have a vibrational frequency impact on you. And so the, the vehicle, you can purify it with, with your thoughts, you can purify it with your breath. You also can purify it with the music that you listen to because the, the music itself has vibrational frequency. And so in those books, I say be careful of the music you listen to because the music you, you listen to helps create the reality that you're living in. So I recommend people to listen to really good music that makes you feel good. Because if it makes you feel good, then you're gonna have good thoughts and good thoughts create help you create and manifest a really good reality. So music is, so important on the spiritual path. And look, baseball is, is a thing where not everyone likes sports, not everyone likes sports, like baseball, but everyone, even a baby one day old appreciates music because music is innate to us. And whether it's because we know how to sing or because we've all lived past lives, we remember looking for that huge stuff the first time when you hear, the, you hear that, that music of the, of, of the universe, we all can relate to music. And so music is another great vehicle to write about because it can transcend and become a a, a of course to deliver knowledge about spirituality. And believe me, I'm not here to spread knowledge. I'm some guru. I'm just a normal guy. What I am trying to do is just, because I am just a regular guy, share my stories. Because if it happened to me, it could happen to everyone. Because I'm, I'm no different than anybody else. I just tap into this stuff. And by the way, I didn't tap into this stuff until I was 40 years old. I had a so I'm into Wendy Garrett at a float session before this all happened to me. And so when I look at my kids who are, oh well, they're passing out at a much younger age. In a way, I take great pride in that because it's sort of like the family tree is evolving. And when I get to be born as my daughter's, you know, great-grandson, everything I taught my daughter, she will have taught to her daughter. And then they will have to her son. And that person will teach that back to me. So I love this idea of reincarnation and that we're all on a spiritual path in each life but each life is interconnected. And so it's just, an, it's, it's, it's the long game, right? And, and by the way, I have a book coming out called The Simulation. And the idea is that you play these baseball simulation games and SimCity and all that. and More and more humans are living in these virtual worlds. Well, maybe planet Earth is a virtual world and we're all in a simulation. And it's, it, is, it is a game and it's
0: a game of life. Of all the things that you have done, the standout, of this entire journey one memory
1: Florida 2019 my son gets an invitation from west triple-a he gets invited to the U13 all American Games. so he's considered you know one of the best 13-year-old ballplayers in the country now in my first book I have a preposterous thesis that my son could be the reincarnation of Hank Greenberg lots of clues lots of hints my 1st path I progression was actually to go back to 1938 to see if I was somehow related to Hank Greenberg. Well, Mason Hall is a, is a podcaster who I became friends with after his best friend died. He had a baseball god moment. He googles baseball god, finds my book, hits me up on Instagram, we become friends. I'm the, when the first gets on his podcast. He's in Oregon on vacation when we're in Florida. And uh, my son, it was day two of his home. He hadn't gotten a hit yet. My son took out Malabee and started to pray for his bat for good luck. Okay. Mm-hmm. And we started joking about the movie. We started joking about the movie Bill Durham. It was a commercial, the, the, the baseball game. We changed channels. The movie Bull Durham comes on. The next scene is the scene where the baseball player is playing with his Malibu, praying on, you know, his rosary he's praying on his bat. And then we start, I get the boost bombs. We're like, oh, baseball grabs are real. And then boom, I get a text, Jason Hall. He's in an antique store, you know, the northwest uh, corner of Oregon. And he finds a section that has old baseball antiques. And he finds a baseball bat from 1938. And it belongs to Hank Greenberg. How did a bat from the kit from the kit from the Bronx went up in Oregon? I have no idea. Wow. I said, wow. Ma- I said, Mason, get me the name and phone number of that owner. I don't care how much it is. I am buying that bat. <laughs> and for literally $125, I would have paid 10000 this owner in Oregon and never got that bat. And I him the money. And now my son has possession of a bat from 1938 and engraved in the bat is Hank name. You just can't make this stuff up.
0: Outstanding. And you are amazing. The stories you get, the people you connect to one last note, I'll tell you, I got an email from Kathy bird. It was a spam email. And then I got an apology from Kathy bird saying, I'm sorry. I spammed you. How did she get my email?
1: That's just the faithful God, you know, pulling strings because you must have to interview her. And by the way, in my book, The Middle School Years, which comes out later this year, is a chapter called The Dr. Oz Show because Kathy and, and Christian during the pandemic were on an episode, Dr. Oz, and they talked about many children's past lives and they, they did a feature with Christian and it was, it was riveting. And I write about it because, you know, again, I guess you could make this stuff up, but why would you? Yeah. The surreal paranormal world is just is even better than the reality of this.
0: The music gods are real. Baseball gods are real. Jonathan. All hail Jonathan. So great to be with you again. The baseball gods and music gods always be with you. Thank you. Wendy's Coffee House, Casey Motalk Radio, the website, wendy'scoffeehouse.com, and thank you for listening.